Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Politics intersects with money. Mental health intersects with money. Our careers intersects with money. Childhood intersects with money. And pretend that money exists alone in a vacuum is irresponsible. Hello, and welcome to Run Your Money. Today on the show, we're talking about financial therapy. I'm Veronica Grant, your host and personal finance consultant. Let's dive in. Welcome back to the show. I've got a really great interview for you today, and I hope it comes just in time. I'm releasing this episode just before Thanksgiving here in the US. And so even if you don't celebrate, or you might not be seeing family this week, many people will see family at some point during the holiday season. And family can be wonderful. And also it can be incredibly stressful and all the stuff can come up. And often a big part of that quote unquote stuff is money. In fact, I find this so interesting. Unless you've done a lot of inner work around money, there's a really good chance that the way you either think about money or treat money is either a direct replication of what your parents said or didn't say or do or didn't do around money or it's a rebellion it's like the opposite but it's not necessarily coming from an intentional action it's more of like a rebellious kind of action for example let's say you had a mother that always judged people for having a lot of money and judged the way they spent money and if they were being lavish about it or showing off their money and maybe these people were or weren't but the judgment from your mother was there you might have then created some sort of belief it's bad to have too much money or taking one of those high paying jobs is automatically soulless or you're greedy or you're just in it for the money and that makes you a bad person and that can create some self-sabotage and 
taking lower paying jobs, not negotiating, not getting raises, things like that. I'm not saying that's exactly how it always works, but that's just one of a bazillion examples of how sometimes the way you were raised around money can often be the way that money plays out in your current life as an adult without doing any kind of work around it. And in fact, when I work with clients in the Run Your Money Roadmap, the first session is dedicated to looking at your mindset. I'm going to actually do an episode on Friday about money mindset. So I'm not going to go too much into it today because I have a very love-hate relationship with the term money mindset. On the one hand, money mindset is important. On the other hand, it has been completely weaponized, which I will talk more about on Friday. But regardless of all of that, money stuff can certainly come up over the holidays. And that is why one, I'm going to talk about money mindset on Friday. And two, why I brought on a financial therapist to talk about money trauma and mental health issues that can come up, that can come up as a result of any kind of money trauma. At the end of my interview with Lindsay today, she gives a few pointers on how to deal with I'm just going to call it money stuff because I don't know what else to call it because sometimes it's boundaries, but sometimes it's just stuff. If there's tension or weird stuff or just weird comments around money at your Thanksgiving table or frankly, whenever you see your family, then make sure you listen to the end of this interview because I think you'll get some great, very practical advice that can really help you stay grounded and supported throughout this holiday season if you see family. I also want to pause here to say that I really appreciate Lindsay and this conversation today and also that you're tuning in because I have felt increasingly frustrated with both the money manifestors and then what I call the finance bros. So the money manifestors, they are mostly the white women who are telling you how to heal your mindset or fix your mindset or whatever so that you can manifest all the money you want. Often it's through running your own business, but sometimes it's not. And then on the other side of that, you have the finance bros. And the finance bros are basically saying, you have money issues because you suck with money. So don't worry, let me teach you everything you need to know. So there's a little bit of a God complex going on if you were to ask me. And I think both sides of these coins have pros. Obviously, there are some pretty big cons, but I do think that giving credit to the finance bros, a lot of people just don't know personal finance and money and things like that. It's not your fault. It's just that you were never really taught it. On the other hand, with the money manifestors, I do think that your mindset and how you relate to money does matter. But neither one of these sides of the spectrums are the end all be all. You cannot expect to just learn the things you need to learn about index funds or interest rates or whatever and expect all of your money problems to go away. And you can't expect to do your EFT tapping or your mantras, your affirmations or your manifesting, and then also expect your money problems to go away. What both of these sides leave out are how social constructs and political systems make it easier or harder for some people to quote unquote manifest or improve their financial situation. If you come from money or if you have a spouse who makes a lot of money and that gives you more freedom to do different things in your career or in your life, yeah, it is going to be a little bit easier to quote unquote manifest. It will be a little bit easier to find more money to save and invest and then see the numbers on your spreadsheet go up. I think that both 
the money manifestors and the finance bros leave this part out of the equation. And I think at best, it's irresponsible. And at worst, it can be really harmful because if they're not teaching from that perspective, then it can make you feel like something's wrong with you that you're lacking in some way, like your intelligence, for example, if you aren't quote unquote manifesting or if you don't have six figures in the bank or whatever it is. My goal with my podcast and the work that I do with my clients is to combine the best of all of these worlds. You need to understand the social and political landscape in which you are trying to change your financial situation if nothing else, just to have a more realistic picture of where you are and where you can get to in a certain time period. And it's important to look at your relationship with money, which again, I'm going to talk about on Friday. And it's important to just learn about the boring things like index funds and interest rates, even though, of course, you know me, I love those things. I can nerd out on those things all day long. All that to say is I hope you love this conversation with Lindsay. I hope it helps you to show up at your Thanksgiving table with a different mindset, with some tools that you can use to handle any money stuff that comes up. And I'm also going to use this episode as a springboard to have more of these conversations in later episodes later in the year. And then, of course, next year. Before we get to my conversation with Lindsay, just a reminder that I work with clients one-on-one over six weeks where I do my best to pull in all of these pieces that I'm talking about. For six weeks, we have five sessions where the first session, we talk about your money mindset and the goals that you want with your money. The second session, we talk about your spending and any debt you might have, and we're going to find a plan for that. Also optimize spending, credit cards, things like that. And in session three, we'll look at your savings plan and create goals and sub-accounts, et cetera, around that. The fourth session is dedicated to all things investing. We will look at your investing goals and make sure you are on track. I will help you get your investment accounts set up and investments bought. And then in the fifth and final session, we will take everything that we've talked about in the first four and put it all together so that you know exactly how much money is going to this goal, going to debt, going to savings, going to investing, etc. So there's no question of Am I making the most of my money or not? Because you will be. So to learn more about working with me, head over to veronicagrant.com forward slash work with me. I will put that link in the show notes so you can just tap right there and scroll to read through more of the program. And then you have two options from there. If you are ready to book and you know you want to work with me, you can actually just book and schedule right there on the page. Or if you have questions, there is a link on that page to schedule a 15 minute phone call with me. This is not a sales call. I'm not going to quote unquote sell you on anything. I'm just going to be like, hey, really nice to chat with you. What questions do you have for me? Then you can ask whatever questions you want. And I know sometimes people don't really necessarily have specific questions. They just want to talk through it with me, which is totally, totally fine. I get that. So you can schedule one of those calls if that makes you feel a little bit more comfortable. So again, veronicagrant.com forward slash work with me is the place to go for that. And with all of that said, let's get to my conversation with Lindsay. As of May 2023, there are approximately 29.2 million forgotten 401k accounts. 
I don't know about you, but I get pissed off if I just lose a $20 bill. Imagine forgetting where you put thousands of dollars. This is your hard-earned money. Even if you know where all your 401ks are, but it feels overwhelming to call your old HRs, figure out the paperwork, figure out how to roll it over, it's worth it. Because the cost of not doing that is hundreds or thousands of dollars. Management fees for employer-sponsored 401ks are pricey. And it's worth the extra cost if you get a match or a tax break as you contribute. But once you've left that job, those perks are gone and you're only left with the 401k fees that eat away at your earnings. This is where Capitalize can help. They're the easiest way to roll over your old 401ks. You tell them where your old 401ks are, which brokerage firm you'd like them to go to, and they'll help you open your IRA if you still need to, and they do the rest. No paperwork for you. But that's not even the best part. The best part is it's 100% free for you. Capitalize gets paid by the institution you roll over your 401k to. To get started, head over to veronicagrant.com forward slash capitalize. Hi, Lindsay. Welcome to the show. I'm so excited to have you talk to me today and all my listeners. I think it's going to be a really great conversation. Thanks, Veronica. I was just telling you before we started recording that I've had a list of kinds of professions and people that I want to come on to the show. Financial therapist was definitely on that list. And then, and it was one of those things like someday I'll come across the financial therapist that I can have on the podcast. And then someone in my community asked a question and I'm going to paraphrase the question, but basically she was underwater in a mortgage. And because of that, she was trapped in her home, trapped in her job that she hated. And now she has the possibility to switch jobs, move to a new location, possibly buy a new house. And she's like, but I can't, I feel paralyzed. Is financial trauma a thing? And I was like, yeah, it's definitely a thing. And I can talk to you about the housing market right now, but I can't talk to you about the trauma you experienced. Mm -hmm. So here we are. I'm super excited. So let's just start with, I don't know if financial trauma is like a thing people have heard. What is financial trauma? How do you define it? Yeah, I think it's it's helpful to back up, like you said, and just do a high level overview of what trauma is and then talk about how money trauma shows up. So trauma is anything that we experience that causes real or close to actual harm to ourselves. So when we think about trauma, a lot of the time we're thinking of things like being in a car accident or being in an abusive relationship. Those things are absolutely trauma. And All of us are going to experience trauma in our life. The difference here is when we think of post-traumatic stress disorder or PTSD, I think a lot of people conflate experiencing trauma with having PTSD, and those two things are not actually the same. For example, Veronica, if you and I were both in a car accident, it would be likely that one of us might experience PTSD-like symptoms, such as having difficulty sleeping, being anxious to get into a car again, being hypervigilant or being on edge whenever they see a car around them. And it would also be likely that another one of us in that car might not experience that same cluster of symptoms. So I think it's first just helpful to normalize that all of us will experience trauma in our lives, but not all of us will experience PTSD-like symptoms. Now, when it comes to money trauma, if we think about experiencing things that would make us feel like our life or our livelihood is at risk financially, that could be considered financial trauma. And what we also know, the research is showing that trauma can be passed down intergenerationally for up to five to seven generations. 
So it may be likely that I, for example, was born in the U.S., but my grandparents are immigrants. And so I could inherit some of the trauma that they experienced, even though I personally didn't have that same life because of something called epigenetics. I won't get too into the weeds, but much like brown eyes and blue eyes can be passed down, trauma can also be passed down. So when we think about financial trauma, you might think of something like experiencing homelessness or food insecurity, but you could also experience financial trauma after something like a divorce or a breakup or experiencing medical debt or collective financial traumas that we've experienced, such as pandemics, recessions, micro and macro aggressions due to racism, sexism, homophobia, et cetera. So what are some signs? Well, I'm just putting air quotes. I don't really like the idea of good, bad, but just for the yeah. sake of simplicity, you know, what is it between bad money habits and like bad money habits that are coming from trauma? Yeah, I have a, a biased view, obviously, because of the work that I do as a financial right. therapist. I tend to not think, like you said, that anybody is bad with money right. or has bad money habits just because. Right. And whether it is something like financial trauma or a mental illness such as anxiety, depression, bipolar illness, ADHD, or just not learning or being exposed to money behaviors, there are a host of reasons why, why we might struggle to manage or interact with our money. And when it comes to financial trauma, I mentioned some of the symptoms of PTSD can be things like feeling on edge or being overstimulated or experiencing things like intrusive thoughts, feeling detached or numb or being highly irritable. And if you imagine that when you sit down to look at your money, you feel really on edge and irritable and overwhelmed because of something like financial trauma, it makes sense why you would avoid looking at or engaging with your money if it causes those sensations in your body. So to the, the reader or the listener who is saying like, intellectually, I understand that this particular move might be good for me, but I'm really struggling to actually sit down with it. It makes perfect sense that most of us would want to avoid that cluster of feelings or sensations when it comes to dealing with our money. So what you're saying then is sometimes there can just be like overwhelm, maybe just not really understanding how the home selling or buying process works or mm -hmm. how a certain financial market works. And so there could just be the overwhelm. But if that's coupled with physical sensations, then you're looking more into like, hmm, this might actually be some financial trauma. Is that is that what you're saying? Yeah, I, I think it's really, I'm, I'm not trying to be resistant. I just want to name that there could be so many other reasons for those yeah, sensations sure. outside of financial trauma. But yes, to your point, is it that I need a little bit more education and that education will help me to feel safe and make a move? Right. That could be a piece of it, but it could also be, I'm making this up, I don't know the background oh, of yeah. the, the reader, but let's Same. say that person grew up in a place where housing was somewhat insecure and they were moving every six months, every 18 months. And when they finally became able to own a home and they felt rooted and they felt safe, it makes sense why that potential financial trauma of being housing insecure might come up when it comes time to selling and moving. Even though intellectually they know this move does not mean I'm housing insecure, their body and brain might respond the way that it did when they were younger and feel those sensations of, oh my gosh, are we going to have somewhere to live? Where am I going to sleep tonight? Are we going to be able to stay here for more than six, eight, 10 months? So what are some other signs that someone might actually be experiencing some financial trauma? Yeah, it, it certainly depends, but I think it might be helpful just to maybe 
tease out how they look. So when we experience financial trauma, we might isolate ourselves. We might be so overwhelmed at the prospect of interacting with money that we avoid interacting with money. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. And as you know, when it comes to socializing in our great country, a lot of it revolves around spending money, going to a concert, going to brunch, going to the movies. And rather than saying, hey, I'm experiencing some anxiety around wanting to spend money, we just kind of pull back. The other thing that might come up is a term called hypervigilance, which is a sensation of feeling on edge or on alert, especially when it comes to our money. So this might look like when you get a bill in the mail, being so physically overwhelmed by seeing that bill in the mail that you don't open it or you open it, but you put it in a pile and never look at it again. Or maybe you even get to the point where you log into that account, but the, the hypervigilance and the intensity of that feeling becomes so great that you can't engage with it it could look like irritability. So if you and your partner are trying to talk about creating a spending plan for the month because your financial circumstances change, you might become irritable and snappy and on edge, and it might make it difficult for you to have that conversation. You might experience something we call intrusive thoughts. And these are thoughts that seem to kind of jump into your head or intrude the way that you think kind of from start to middle to end or beginning middle to end. And you might get derailed or have what we call a thought rumination where a certain thought just kind of plays on a loop and it's really hard to get out of it. And with financial trauma, those thoughts might look like anxious thoughts, such as I'll never be good with money or I'll never understand credit scores or I'll never be able to talk to my kids about money. So some of those intrusive thoughts that might not be true, but feel really true in the moment or something that we call dissociation, which feels like being numb or detached or feeling outside of your body when it comes to interacting with your money. And a lot of the examples I gave were at home or interpersonal, but this can show up at work. Let's say you have quarterly reviews and you have to look at numbers or a spreadsheet. You might find yourself feeling really detached from the experience or struggling to stay in the moment when you're talking to your boss about those quarterly numbers. So it can show up not just in our budget or in our conversations with friends, but it can show up at work. It can show up when we are sitting down to maybe uh, apply for a mortgage. It can show up in all of these different areas yeah. too. I know this is obviously a much bigger question and ultimately getting one-on-one -on -one support is probably the ultimate answer to this, but what are some coping mechanisms for people who are listening to this and like, oh, I thought that was normal. I thought everyone experienced that. I love how you phrase this question, which is it might be helpful to have one-on-one -on -one help. And also, what else can we do? Because 
even though I'm a therapist, I love therapy. I don't think everybody necessarily needs therapy. And I do think there are things that we can do. First and foremost is what you're doing right now, which is something that we call awareness and validation. So knowing what it's called, being able to put a label to it, and then understanding that you are not alone. That's the validation part. When we experience symptoms of financial trauma, it can feel really isolating. So it's less of, oh, I thought everyone felt this way and more of, am I weird? Am I an outlier? Am I the only person in the world who can't do this? And then that kind of continues a, a shame spiral. Yeah. So when it comes to what we do, first, we want to acknowledge what it is. We want to label it and we want to start making meaning of it. And when we start making meaning of the way that we engage with our money, it helps to dial down that shame, which is a big component as re-experiencing trauma. So we might say in this made-up scenario mm -hmm. with, the, with the house and with selling, it might sound like it makes sense why I feel so overwhelmed and hypervigilant and anxious when it comes to sitting down with a realtor or with my partner and looking at the real ins and outs of buying and selling a house because of the way that I was raised. And, and this is the big key, is building a bridge for your brain to where you are now and how that's different than before. And I know that I am safe, that I am secure, and that my moving now is not the same as it was when I was a child. That is a key component of helping your brain and body get on board, which is acknowledging the past, but telling your brain quite literally, that is no longer my circumstance. So what that does is create empathy for ourselves and compassion for ourselves. Other things that we can do in addition to personal validation is having social support. And money trauma is so insidious because we don't really talk about money at all. And we certainly don't talk about the feelings associated with money, particularly if they are stemming from money trauma. So doing something like this, listening to a podcast and maybe saying to your bestie like, hey, will you listen to that podcast too? And then we can chat about it. I'm feeling like that might be me and I need to process it with someone. If that feels way too vulnerable, a lot of people give social media shit. I don't know if I can swear. Can I swear? You can say whatever you want. Okay. A lot, of, a lot of people love to shit on social media and be like, it's bad. It's wrong. It's, it's broken. But I think there is a lot of evidence and the research will point to this that having online community and feeling validated and feeling seen in that way while having a level of anonymity, while having a username, while having an avatar instead of your face actually helps you to feel connected. So it might be beneficial, let's say, if you are a first-gen person living in the U.S. to connect with other people who are, are also managing their finances as a first-gen person. Or if you are recovering from a financially abusive uh, relationship and you have recently gotten divorced, it might make sense for you to connect with a group of people who've also gone through a similar situation. Yeah. Having community awareness of people who get it and understand helps us to feel less alone. And then finally is the education component. And I think this is where you and I so agree, Veronica. I was listening to your intro about things that drive you bananas about the personal finance community. And the personal finance community has a way of making education be the end all and be all of being quote unquote good with your money. And we yeah. know that that's just not it. So while education absolutely matters, I find that particularly for people who experience financial anxiety or, or financial trauma, if that education is not coupled with a holistic view of how our lived experience and the systems in which we live impact why we do what we do with our money, it actually makes us feel worse because it's somebody saying, 
It's your fault you're not looking at your bills. It's your fault you didn't negotiate your raise. It's your fault you can't talk to your partner about money instead of saying, it makes sense why this is so complicated. Here's why. And it is still helpful to learn about credit scores and how to have a spending plan and creating financial goals that matter to you. But I think the education piece is where a lot of us who experience financial anxiety or financial trauma can end up spiraling because it feeds, going back to that intrusive thought, it feeds into that particular piece of financial anxiety or financial trauma, which just then makes us feel even worse. So education, yes, absolutely helps with financial trauma. And the giant asterisk there is it has to be holistic. It has to be compassionate and it has to look at all of your lived experiences in order to make it work for you. I'm nodding my head, snapping my fingers. <laughs> I literally have a video on saved in my TikTok folder. I haven't posted it yet. Probably by the time this is released, I'll probably have posted it. You can learn about all of these things and the finance bros want you to think that you're just bad with money. And so you just need to learn this stuff and you'll be fine. Ignoring the fact that they're all white men, might have been born into wealth, may not be the primary child caregivers in the family, and not to mention like all the political systems that keep wealth out of certain hands and into certain hands. And so that's like more of like the political, because that's my background and you're in the mental health background. But I think it's very similar in that if you're not learning about money from either of these two contexts, which of course are overlapping, then it can create like, oh my God, I got into all this credit card debt. Like I'm such an idiot or how do I let myself do this? And it's like, did you make a mistake? Maybe, maybe not. Maybe you were forced into it because of social situations or because of an undiagnosed mental health disorder. Who knows? I think that when you learn about money within this framework, then it helps release the shame, which will probably then help you feel more available and be more available to learn about credit scores and index funds. Absolutely. I want to echo that you're so spot on, which is politics intersects with money, mental health intersects with money, our yes. careers intersects with money, childhood intersects with money. And to pretend that money exists alone in a vacuum is irresponsible. And so I love that you said whether or not you made a mistake with money, we have to practice forgiveness and a more compassionate understanding for why we need that choice in the first place. Let's say a person got into credit card debt rather than be like, oh, you have a spending problem and you don't know how to control yourself and you have no willpower. I think it's much more helpful to do something like, hey, I had access to a credit card and that actually allowed me to feed my family. And sure, I might have gone a little bit overboard on clothing. Given what I know about money and the way I tried to care for my family, I overspent in that area because I was trying to demonstrate love or I was trying to demonstrate connectedness. And I didn't have the full understanding of how that might impact my financial picture. And I think yeah. a lot of people, when I talk about self-compassion and when I talk about self-forgiveness, especially in our society, they're like, well, Lindsay, I don't want to like let myself off the hook. I don't want to give myself a free pass. And I think it's important to say Self-forgiveness doesn't mean that you are omitting everything you've done, but it helps you to actually make meaning of the mistake and move forward instead of belittling yourself in the process. Totally. And the first thought that comes to my mind is like, no one else is going to give you a free pass. So you deserve to give that to yourself. Yes. <laughs> so true. So true. When this episode airs, Thanksgiving is just around the corner here in the U.S. And then there's a string of holidays following that. So family and friends are all getting together, et cetera. 
And family trauma, family dynamics can certainly come up a lot within these family gatherings. But I wanted to focus more on the money piece, obviously, given Mm -hmm. the show. How can we manage money conversations and money boundaries within these family dynamics? Because all sorts of things can happen, right? One possible scenario is that someone listening to this episode can be going to visit family and maybe their family has less money than them now. And there's this expectation that they have to give money or pay for everything that's happening. Or it can be the other way around where the parents do have a lot more money than the adult child going back to visit, but their strings attached. The possibilities with money and boundaries are endless. But what are some tips and advice that you can give people who might be a little stressed about seeing family this holiday season? Yeah, I so empathize with being around family and also wanting to take care of yourself and also wanting to participate in family culture and taking care of them too. So two things come to mind immediately. One is practicing self-care and two is setting financial boundaries and those intersect. So when we think about practicing self-care, what that does for us is helps to give us more bandwidth to be able to cope with situations that might be a little bit tense. I think a lot of us are doing self-care reactively rather than proactively. So if you're knowing that you're going home and you have an adult cousin who's going to be asking you for money because you're doing better than them, make sure that you take some time to take care of your physical, mental, and emotional self before you get there whether that is going for a walk or taking an extra hot shower or making sure that you're eating nourishing foods, practicing self-care before and during those intense situations can be really helpful because you don't want to show up already being at your wit's end because your capacity to respond in a healthy way and not just healthy for them, but also healthy for you is going to be limited. Now, when it comes to the financial boundary piece, I think this is where a lot of people struggle because we think boundaries are super rigid. They're forever and ever. And I don't think that's true. Let's use the example of maybe helping out uh, an adult in your world where you're doing better than them and you're feeling beholden to help them out where you said you were going to help them out and maybe things change. In that circumstance, what you can do is ask yourself, what feels safe for me to do? Not just financially, but also emotionally. And you can have a conversation with them and say, hey, you know, look, I know I've been helping you out with rent since I got this new job. I'm happy to continue helping you out with rent, but I actually have to decrease the amount that I've been giving you. So starting next month, instead of giving you $300 a month, I'm going to be able to give you $100 a month. That would be an example of a boundary. I think so many of us in particular, if we're doing better than other family members, we feel like we have to help them out. And that is a part of being a good sibling or a good cousin or a good daughter or whatever the case may be. And If we are giving, 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 then what we may be doing is silently self-sabotaging, which is also something that comes up with financial trauma is we get anxious about having money. So we give it all away and we're not practicing that financial self-care. So two parts, practice self-care and set healthy boundaries and practice truly saying them aloud to a partner, to a friend. (laughs) It doesn't matter, but practicing before you get there too. What are your thoughts when it's not necessarily an ask, but it's more of a dig? For example... I'm very intentional on where I spend money and where I don't spend money. So that frees up money for me to enjoy my money elsewhere. So and my family might notice like, oh, she's going on this nice vacation or she just got a massage and they're judging like must be nice or little snide digs like that. They're not asking for something, but it's also completely inappropriate and also probably a reflection of their own insecurities. Like, what do you do? Yeah, I love this question. So <laughs> 
I, again, I'm going to come back to boundaries. And I think a lot of us get boundaries wrong. To, to be clear, going back to the social media thing, I think there are so many benefits of people talking about things like boundaries and trauma on TikTok. But I think what gets missed is nuance. So a boundary is what you will and won't tolerate. A boundary is not hoping that somebody else changes their behavior or acts in a different way. In this example, you could say to that cousin who makes that dig at you, I love you. I don't know if you meant for that to be a dig, but I won't tolerate you commenting on the way that I do or don't use my money. If you do that again, I'm going to leave. That is a boundary. That is not saying you need to change your behavior. You're saying, here's what I will and won't tolerate. And if they continue to do it, you can say, look, I told you what I will and won't tolerate. I get that you have all these feelings about the way that I'm using my money. I said I don't want to be a target of that type of behavior or those type of remarks. I'm actually going to go back to the hotel early. It doesn't have to be this big thing of like, I gave you 10 chances. You can't adhere to my boundaries. I'm out. You know, this is where we, we channel a little bit of that Michelle Obama. And we say, you know, they went low. I'm going high. Love you. <laughs> I get that you can't adhere to my boundaries. That's your call. I'll see you guys tomorrow. The end. Yeah. And again, much easier said than done. And that's why we practice it, too. I know my stomach started turning because there's definitely a family member. And I'm like, oh, God, saying that to them, my stomach was absolutely in my throat. But yeah. I definitely will have to because. Yeah. And, and play around with how it feels good for you. I am pretty direct. So that is a style that works for me. If you're less direct, you can just say, hey, you know what? When you talk like that, it really hurts my feelings. I'm going to head to the other room if you keep talking like that. Right. Yeah. You don't have to be as bold as maybe I am. But yeah. just to say like, hey. I know you think you're being funny, but it really hurts me. I'm not cool with you talking to me like that. Yeah, I love that. Well, thank you so much. This has been so helpful. And I know it's going to be helpful for everyone listening. So before I let you go, where can my listeners find you and learn more about you? My business is called Mind Money Balance. You can find me on YouTube, on Instagram, my podcast, my website. You can find me all over the interwebs at that handle. And if you want to learn a little bit more about your relationship with, with money, you can take my free quiz at mind.com slash quiz, and it will help you understand some of your unique strengths and challenges when it comes to dealing with money. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you. Hi, everyone. Before I let you go, I wanted to clarify Lindsay's website because somehow the audio cut out when she said it. So if you would like to take her money quiz, you can go to mindmoneybalance.com forward slash quiz. And I will put that link in all the places to find her in the show notes. Thank you so much for listening to the Run Your Money Show. Make sure you're subscribed so you never miss a new episode. And hey, before you leave, can you do me a quick favor? please leave a rating or review wherever you listen to this podcast. It takes just a few seconds for you and it helps me enormously to get the show out in front of more women just like you. Thank you so much. You can find show notes, transcripts, free resources, and info on how to work with me at veronicagrant.com. See you next episode. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.
Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.